The podcast Under the Stairs will feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners will find offensive. to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs, bonus episode number five. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and uh, on this very special bonus episode I'm bringing you an interview with artist and graphic designer Graham Humphreys. Now you may not have heard of Graham Humphreys before, um, you might have if you if you follow the, the kind of British horror scene closely you probably have come across his work before at conventions possibly but um for those that don't know graham humphreys has been involved in the 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 horror community for about 30 years now um primarily designing posters uh, dvd vhs blu-ray cover artwork for some of the big heavy hitters uh, especially during the 80s i only recently found out that one of the most iconic evil dead images and evil dead 2 that i can remember from from being younger and going to video shops and things like that, he was behind that. He was behind a lot of the, the design campaign for, for those films um, and has recently been working with various other companies, including Arrow Film in the UK. And obviously, for those that know me quite well and have listened to the podcast before, they'll know that I am quite a big fan of the products that Arrow put out. Graham has designed some of the alternative cover artwork for some of the releases they've put back out and they've just been phenomenal. So I had approached him a couple of weeks ago and asked him if he would like to come onto the podcast and just have a general chit-chat. Um, he agreed, so that interview will be coming up very, very shortly. So um, what has been happening with me uh, recently? Well, um, I'd like to say loads, but not really. Um, I have been on the Midnight Horror Show um, pretty much every week now for, I think, the, the past four um, on the last episode, which you should all go and check out, we interviewed Jessica Cameron, whose new film, uh, Truth or Dare, is currently on the festival circuit. Jessica has God knows how many projects um, in the pipeline at the moment. It was really fascinating chatting to her as she is what the industry quote-unquote calls a scream queen. Um, and we, we also had Jill Six, a short film maker. Uh, short movie filmmaker anyway, sorry. Um, she appeared back on, she'd been on the show once before, but she came back on for a, for a bit of an update and a chit-chat on how her festival circuit appearance of her film Call Girl is going and everything seems really great um, over with her. Um, films that I've watched kind of recently, uh, since the last time I spoke uh, to to you on the the previous episode number twenty five, um, I don't think I've actually watched that much genre specific um, television or even genre specific movies. I did start Salem, which is a television program in the states at the moment, which is uh, well as you can imagine, it's set in Salem during the witches' trials. I watched the first episode of that and I, I quite enjoyed that. Um, I also checked out WNUF Halloween Special, 
which um, is like an old kind of cable network show program which appears to have been filmed on a video from like the 1980s. Um, it was actually a lot of fun. Um, kind of in a lot of ways remind me of uh, Ghostwatch, which was a UK similarly done thing, although it was played a lot more serious on this one. Um, and I believe that I'll be joining Mike Merriman uh, and Jamie Jenkins in an upcoming Evil episodes to discuss that film. So that could be quite interesting. Um, I have watched, although I will not be giving you my opinion on, The August Underground. Um, we will be doing that for Baz v Horror next week. Um, and where you'll get to hear how the Baz coped with uh, this found footage film. Um, I'm also uh, very pleased to announce that also in that week you'll be getting another podcast. It'll be a very special roundtable discussion podcast um, where I have invited four different podcasters from different, completely different um, horror podcasts to come on and discuss a topic of my choice to begin with. Um, the discussion topic will be remakes and reboots, the good, the bad and the unnecessary. Um, and it should be a lot of fun. I'll be announcing the names of the four podcasters on the week running up to that. And obviously be looking for some questions to pose to my special guests when they're on the show. So keep your eye on the Facebook for that. Um, out with that, that will be the, the that special roundtable discussion will be the precursor to 10 weeks of myself and various different guests going through the 10 best and 10 worst horror remakes. Also, somewhere in between all of this, um, my former co-host, the ghoulish Graham Humphrey, will be coming back on the podcast to tell us what he's been up to since he left the podcast, you know, talk a bit about his adventures, and it will feature a review from um, himself and myself of the new Godzilla movie, so keep your eyes open for that. So I think that's me filled in on everything that's coming up on the podcast and basically everything that's going to be going down last week, this week, next week, the week after possibly. So plenty of things to go and check out. Um, we've got great response for the previous podcast with my guest Mark Ball, um, Dave from Rock and Real Reviews and The Baz. Um, a lot of people seem to, to dig that a lot. And once again, I can't, I can't stress how... Uh, Thankful I am for all my guests who have appeared on my show thus far and all the ones that are lined up to come on the show down the line. It really it really is quite awesome that we have this great kind of collective of podcasters out there that are all really happy to take some time out of their schedule from their podcast to come on the show and chat with uh, myself and obviously chat to you guys. So, without any further ado, I'm going to jump out just now and you are going to hear the interview which was recorded with the artist and graphic designer, Graham Humphreys. I hope you all enjoy and I will be back to chat to you when I wrap up the show. And I'll be right back with the interview right after this. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking? and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities. Then you've got the wrong f***ing show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com Oh, <laughs> 
And welcome back everyone and it is my distinct pleasure and honour to introduce my special guest for this podcast. Um, this gentleman, well you probably know quite a lot of his work but you might not know it's him that's done it. Um, I did not know the extent of how far his career had went until recently uh, when I did a bit of research and realised that pretty much you shaped my viewing in the 1980s sir. Um, this this gentleman here is none other than artist graphic designer and horror uber designer uh, Graham Humphreys. How are you doing sir? Very well thank you very much and how are you? I, I'm doing I'm doing great. I'm actually overjoyed that we're getting a chance to chat because like I said in the, the introduction there um, your body of work is quite formidable. <laughs> Well, it, there's about 30 years of it, I guess, and um, um, I, I don't tend to think of it as being 30 years of work. I, I just do what I do, and it goes from day to day, and uh, it just, I, I look back sometimes and think, my God, did I do that that long ago? Because uh, somebody's talking about the Evil Dead, and yeah. my goodness, that's 30 years ago. I know, I know. That was that was the thing that, that, that got me was, um, oh, I've been kind of more recently introduced to your work through the stuff that you've done for Arrow. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of the product, the products that they put out. Uh, and I was when I when I was looking, I was like, I wonder if this guy's done anything else. And I clicked through, it and as soon as I saw that iconic Evil Dead kind of quad poster thing you did, I was like, he designed that. <laughs> yeah, he's um, that old. Is that what yeah. you're trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but I, I think, um, like my my first question uh, would be that you know, you're obviously a fan of horror films. When Absolutely. when did you when were you aware at what age were you aware of what films made you aware that horror was something that interests you? Uh well, funny enough, I, I've given different answers to this question, but I was lying in a bath the other day, as you do, and um, um, sort of this funny little memory came back to me as uh, of um, visits to my grandmother's um, in the West Country. And I'd have been about probably about five, six years old, mm-hmm. and I remember my sister and I used to be just shunted off into the other room to watch the TV whilst you know the, the parents and the the elders talked. And um, I remember it must have been um, I can only imagine it must have been a uh, Laurence Olivier film or certainly adaptation of Shakespeare, and I'm not guessing it's Laurence Olivier, but. Uh, I guess it must have been King Lear, and it was the blinding of Gloucester. This is like on a Sunday afternoon, two little kids just watching the TV, and this scene, which you know obviously wasn't graphic, but however, when you're a little kid, you're impressionable. Yeah. It actually, it did actually scare the shit out of me, and um, I thought, my God, this man just had his eyes pulled out. On <laughs> come here and see granny and have a nice cup of tea and a cake. And now we get this. So that's probably where it started. Because it actually left such a deep impression on me. It just literally stayed with me for yeah. for weeks and weeks. And then, yeah, obviously, it's still there every time I have a bath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, because, I, I mean, the thing is, obviously, when like, for myself, um, and I think I've, my listeners are probably sick of hearing this, um, I've just got this vivid memory of being about five and um, Frankenstein, the Universal film, was on and just being absolutely heartbroken that they killed the monster. Um, at the end, like I, I, film, yeah, yeah, I think I no, think I'm, um, I'm joking. It's a great film. Yeah, <laughs> I think my uh, my mother enjoys uh, embarrassing me with that story that I cried at the end of that film. Um, but from there, I just became fascinated in, in monsters and I, like when you're a kid, that's you know that's 
maybe from a horror base, that's what you more gravitate towards is like monsters, scary things under your bed. Well, it's and- interesting because I think every child ha- has this goes through this phase of um, feeling very alone, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and it's it's you know you're trying to find your way in the world and trying to make sense of things, and of course you know children do tend to retreat into fantasy. And you know it's great because it's um, it allows you to develop creative ideas and think about things, and also it gives you a, a taste of otherness. And I think otherness is is the clue here because um, children can identify with things that are outside of the normality because um, it, it as as they feel themselves, it's it's an otherness. It's something that's different and something they can't quite understand. It doesn't fit in to the way of things, and as they themselves don't feel that they fit in. And I think that's why the appeal is there. And you know, it, this continues through adult life. I think for a lot of people, though, that you know, that there's always a sense of otherness that people have, and um, you either deal with it uh, and accept you know otherness, uh, uh, and, and that, you know we are all individuals. Um, you can't expect everybody to be exactly like you, yeah, and, yeah. And, and thereby lies a lot of problems in our, on, in our world. Unfortunately, that people just have this terror of otherness. But when you, you know, when you when you sort of package it and sublimate it and um, uh, sort of make something creative out of it, then then you, you then you find you know things like the world of horror and uh, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it's science fiction and and the fantasy. You know, fantasy isn't necessarily pure escapism as such it's also a way of dealing with concepts and ideas which don't have words or visuals otherwise mm-hmm, definitely did you find yourself um from a young age drawn things like monsters or or things like that or did was that something that maybe you gravitated to more as a teenager or well after the eye gouging scene yeah. uh, <laughs> before that i was i was definitely uh the two things i always used to draw were uh um, skulls. I don't know why. I think I'd mm-hmm. seen um, something in some sort of Ladybird book uh, about um, a famous scientist. I think it had this picture of a skeleton in a, a wardrobe, which again terrified me slightly. But uh, but the thing is, I was fascinated by the skull, and uh, I just started drawing skulls when I was about yeah, two, three. As soon as I could pick up a pencil and start using it, and then uh, 1964, I suppose it would have been when the first Doctor Who series started, and the Daleks yeah. appeared, and then. I was just fascinated by the Daleks and just would draw those as well. So everything was like skulls and Daleks, skulls and Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so moving on to, I mean, this is obviously, this to me is like where, horror's always kind of been with us, but to me, the 1980s, VHS starts coming along, we start getting video stores, um, like, for, for, for the rental of videos um, and obviously the video nasties kick in in the UK um, and I mean I was I was quite young while that was happening but I, I'm still I was still aware of it um, and I was aware that I had seen horror films that I probably shouldn't during the 80s uh, <laughs> um, on, on bootlegs and whatnot uh, but I mean at that time it seems that and I don't know if it was just a product of the 1980s but um, with video shops the artistry went to a different level in terms of designs because obviously people are coming in, you have a shelf full of maybe maybe 40, 50 films and the design work is there to really capture your eye as a consumer. Um, now, you, you obviously designed quite a few during this time period. Was that something you were aware of at that point, that designs had to be as extravagant and flamboyant and eye-catching as possible to rent these things? Or was it just a case of... Um, that's just what you wanted to do, uh, you know. Was there was there a was there film companies, for example, saying we need something really elaborate to get the attention of people, or was it the artists that were really pushing that? Do you know? 
Well, I think that sensibility was already there through um, um, sort of limited film poster work I've done. Uh, but uh, obviously with Evil Dead, um, famously, it was the first film to be simultaneously released on video uh, yeah. as well as the cinemas. And so, you know, there's a big splashy thing on, now on video. And, uh, I, you know, even for me at that point, video was still quite a, a new thing. And um, and my, my, my experience of video stores was that, you know, they were always quite small and pokey because there just weren't that many videos available because they were... <laughs> Pretty expensive, you know. Oh like yes. You bought a new video, one which you owned. It's going to be seventy pounds, which at that time, you know, you might as well be talking about two hundred and fifty pounds or three hundred pounds. I mean, just you know, ridiculous. And then, of course, then the, the whole rental market uh, opened up to support those of us that couldn't afford to buy the videos. So the video rental thing was there was almost like two separate markets, and on occasion to have, I, I seem to recall actually doing two different sleeves, one for the rental. One for the um, the the, the, the um, you know sales as such general sales, but uh, I don't think that at the time I was particularly aware of the fact that things had to be shouty mm-hmm. to be shelf. I think my work naturally was quite shouty anyway, yeah. and um, I think with the Evil Dead, uh, what happened with that was that uh, once that film had come out and, and obviously been very successful, um, I did get commissions on the back of that, no doubt, and. Uh, uh, Obviously, what they were looking for was something similarly aggressive and um, uh, colourful, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I guess for that reason, I was doing that without actually really thinking about what I was doing, if, if that makes any sense. Though. Yeah. But I, I was aware, of course, I was aware as a punter myself going into a video store, seeing all the uh, all the wares on display mm-hmm. and uh, knowing that yeah, certain things would catch your eye. And yeah, certain things did stand out. But I, I think at the time, people didn't really understand the marketing strategy of, of you know the shelf appeal because I mean if you look back at a lot of the video covers of the time quite often they're just very simple stills yes. from, from the title because people really didn't understand the video market uh, right then but um, you know well, it was very much um, as a friend of mine described it they called me um, a beautiful liar because they say <laughs> well they were looking at the work of other artists who, who basically their duty was on film post and on video cover to um, uh, um, you know, sell a film with any means possible. And if that meant you, you had to sort of be slightly liberal with the truth of the content <laughs> therein, then uh, well, so be it. But, um, yeah, that's part of the beauty of the, the classic video package, which oh, is, yeah. you know, it, it's, you know you're not going to get what's on that cover. But yeah. nevertheless, it's, it's exciting enough to think that, well, there may be something of that in there and, and that will be enough. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I recently I was on a, a, a different podcast and the whole show was themed towards uh, kind of 80s horror and as a kind of subject one of, one of the guys brought up favourite 80s covers that had absolutely nothing to do with the movie and that list goes on and on <laughs> yeah, it's nice of them isn't it yeah pretty much um, <laughs> so yeah um, the, do you th- feel like we're j- going to just jump ahead actually um, and we'll obviously bring it back to, to more of your work but do you feel that that kind of artistry has been lost with things like online streaming of films for example companies like Netflix or Amazon Prime um, the covers now seem to be very very neutral and plain um, do you feel well, that that issues there is, is a very simple one and it's one that I've come across 
uh, doing work for DVD, DVD covers, which uh, you know, what the you know, client knows is going to have to sell through Amazon as well. Mm-hmm. And the issue being that you know things are going to be appearing quite small on screen, and you know, sometimes just on a you know a little phone. So uh, you have to be aware that the images have to be a bit simpler sometimes, just to actually be you know make visual sense at a very small size. I mean, I don't think that that's really ever been an issue anyway. When we look at a postage stamp, you know, you get quite complex little designs on oh, yeah. those and you, you have no trouble assimilating the information on there, the visual information. But uh, uh, in the minds of some people, they think, well, if it's small, it has to be simple. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. But I think that's part of what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, yeah, it's interesting. I don't quite know what the uh, how, how this will work, but uh, I do know that I myself have been commissioned to do stuff which is uh, going to pure, uh, appear purely on tablet form or on, on phones, mm-hmm. and usually people commissioning illustration just to appear on you know, this digital format. So, um, yeah, what, what I imagine is that you know there's still a market that even on, on on a digital you know screen of some sort that you want to flick through things you know more than just titles. You know there has to be yeah. some sort of visual hook if it's still from a film. Well. Yeah, film posters have always done that as well as did uh, video covers. But um, yeah, there's no reason as to why illustration you know can't still function in, in a digital form. I mean, you know, I've, I've been doing it already, so uh, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, I don't think there's an issue there at all. And in, in in a way, you know, as um, a sort of you know slight environmentalist myself, though, I'm quite happy to see less plastic being chugged out there and uh, less paper you know being wasted as well. Yeah, you were saying obviously that you'd naturally gravitate towards quite a, a loud style of kind of work and artistry. Do, mm. do you think that's influenced from the fact that you kind of you're a bit of a punk fan, kind of grew up with the original kind of punk movement? Uh, was that is that something that's influenced your work? Do you feel? Uh, completely, utterly, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> uh, you know, you take in different influences, but I guess you know probably. Um, Probably seeing colour TV for the first time. I think my parents were, you know, uh, one of the later families to get colour TV. Just didn't have money to get the colour thing at the time. But um, certainly, because uh, I think early colour TV was, you know, they they really played up the colour aspect of it. Because you know, I thought, well, we've got colour, we'll use it. And my God, was it fluorescent? And uh, <laughs> so I think that probably has some little bit of an influence. But this odd little things like I went to this amazing exhibition when I was about sixteen. Uh, we had a trip from art college and came to London to see this uh, 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 amazing show called The Light Fantastic, which is mm-hmm. basically an exhibition of um, holograms uh, on glass. And, um, you know, it was a fairly new medium uh, being explored at the time, but the laser technology was quite interesting. And, and so basically you had this gallery, it was the ICA, I believe, in the mall, uh, uh, which just basically was just full of lasers, you know, shooting his beams at these pieces of glass. Yeah. It had incredible images, but it was just, I was fascinated by the colour of the lasers because you know, it wasn't just the red, it was the green and blue, orange, yellow, uh, a whole spectrum of lasers and um, just the quality of light on the glass. It had these like minuscule little pinpricks of really intense colour popping out and uh, that that really did affect me and, um, and, and, and I started playing around with um, images which kind of tried to emulate that look of a hologram sort of laser generated hologram and um and really so i think that so even that evil dead poster i think i can see for myself that that's going on in there yeah uh, nobody else is going to know this but yeah except for you now and of course anybody else listening <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i, I mean um I, and i was also reading that and i have actually seen this on, on numerous occasions uh the you did the ramones box set cover art 
Is that right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, were you always a fan of the Ramones? Was that was was that like a is that a career highlight? Um, I saw the Ramones, uh, but not at the very early stage. I saw them, you know, I guess it must have been in, in the sort of um, late eighties. I guess mm -hmm. so it wasn't necessarily the original lineup, but. Yeah, I enjoyed the music. I wasn't a particular fan. That job purely came about because it's through Titan Films, who I was doing yeah. a lot of work with at the time. I, for about 10 years, I think I was doing uh, a huge amount for them. And um, that was one of the products that came up. And I know that um, Sam Dunn, the commissioning uh, uh, art director at the time, um, it was his little pet project. And uh, yeah. he, he he knew that I loved my punk rock anyway. And he just said, well, naturally, you have to be doing this. And uh, <laughs> You know, it's his idea to do the leather kind of the leather jacket concept, and he, we discussed, you know, how we can make it interesting. And then the idea of the zip came, and I said, well, mm -hmm. you know, well, we can, uh, you know, do some foil blocking to create, you know, the metal zip. And uh, so I had a, a work colleague, um, a, a, one of the girls at work, I knew she had a leather jacket, which you know looked the part. So I got her to bring her jacket in, a photograph that to get the leather, mm -hmm. and then photograph the zip on it as well. And that became the basis of all the artwork for that. And then I said, well, we'll just bung the badges on. Yeah, but I remember um, it must have been in the early eighties. I think John Cooper Clark, uh, maybe the second big album he did. Actually, mm -hmm. the, the sleeve was uh, uh, almost like a. a piece of his jacket on the front with a pocket and you had the the lyrics which fitted into the lyric but fitted into the pocket right. on a jacket and it had you know the badges on there as well picked out in a sort of a shiny lamination so it, i had that in the back of my mind so actually it's probably more john cooper clark than the room <laughs> <laughs> right we're going to take a short break here you're going to hear a, a quick promo for one of the other podcasts on the network when I come back, uh, myself and Graham are going to delve back into some horror conversation and um, look forward to speaking to you in a little clip. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh my God, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh my goodness, you know. I, halfway through this movie, I was just like, let's get this thing going. Fuck this movie. Okay. <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the Schindler's list of desserts. It's it's a, a pure good. I love the idea of up-and-coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre. I really, really like that idea. And that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned, is making a film that's just average. Well, that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion, whether it's, you know, to rip it apart or, or praise it. Then you should spend time with David and me. And Bo. As we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. Empire of the Ants. Lisa and the Devil. The Baby. The Toxic Avengers. The New Favorites. Absentia. Cabin in the Woods. The Loved Ones. Shadow of Death. VHS. The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. And welcome back, and I am still joined by my special guest, um, the wonderfully talented artist and graphic designer, Graham Humphrey. And uh, one of the questions has come in on our Facebook page from long-time listener Jamie Wilson. He has uh, said, it would be cool to hear of your influences, which I think we've kind of touched upon, um, but he, he specifically wanted to know if you're going to be doing any more work with Death Waltz Records, uh, designing artwork for the covers, or... Are, are there any plans for you to be carrying on with any artwork for uh, the video nasties with uh, Mario Cavoni? Okay, I can answer both of those questions. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, with Death Waltz, uh, I think it was recently announced. Um, I did a cover for a House by the Cemetery. Yeah. Um, and then we've done City of the Living Dead, which I think is also... Actually, House by the Cemetery is out already. City of the Living Dead, I think, has been shown on... Uh, it's been around on Facebook already, so that that's officially out there. Uh, I've done another cover f- uh, for The Beyond. Uh, so that soundtrack, I believe, is coming out later this year, but that was Excellent. done simultaneously with the um, City of the Living Dead illustration. Uh, so I hope I've being able to bring in some new element into the beyond uh, imagery mm-hmm. um it's always difficult because i've i've done a number of illustrations now where the beyond has you know featured and it's always difficult yeah. trying to pull out new um <laughs> new moments from those films yeah. like you know if you go to zombie flesh eaters for instance which is the first one i did for death Waltz, uh, that um you know how, how do you avoid not having the shark and the zombie attack because <laughs> that is you know the, the best moment in the whole film yeah, yeah, and you, you, you feel naturally drawn back to that but now I've, I've actually illustrated that three times so i can't do that again because <laughs> uh, i'm just about to do um a new uh new poster for um fabio fritzi for another concert he's doing this halloween uh, again uh, doing um, soundtrack work and obviously concentrating on a fulci uh oh, collaboration and i know the beyond will be inevitably in there again and, and um zombie flesh eaters so uh, okay, must must avoid doing the shark. <laughs> I must avoid doing the the blind woman and etc. Uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But um, with Death Waltz, one the, one of the reasons uh, that that collaboration came about was through uh, my friend Paul McAvoy, one of the Fright Fest guys, and uh, he he put me in touch with Spencer Hickman, with view that um, to doing some of the Hammer uh, release soundtrack albums. Uh, Spencer had um, already approached Hammer and had struck some sort of deal with them whereby he would release all the same tracks on Death Waltz. And so the idea was that um, I would be the Hammer cover person. Um, so that's how that collaboration started. Then, of course, Zombie Flesh Eaters came up, and I think he just decided that was a much more uh, splashy, you know, first title to have in the series. Yeah. And I did do a cover for The Devil Rides Out, which was announced, uh, and uh, you, know, you can find it on the internet, the image. Um, but that has yet to be released, although I think Twins of Evil did come out as a soundtrack, and I think um, Fen Tom uh, Hodge did the cover for that one. Yeah. But so I, what's happening with those, I don't know. That's something Spencer can only answer. But um, but yes, I do hope there will be some more um, to come. But The Beyond, it, it will be out later this year anyway, though. And then the second question was... The Video Nasties. Uh, video Nasties. That's right, yes. Uh, yeah, um, I saw Mario two weekends ago uh, um, at a, uh, a little convention called Spaghetti Cinema, <clears throat> basically investigating the origins and the um, the sort of uh, the whole oeuvre of Italian horror, sort of uh, 1970s, early 80s, and what, what had what, what, you know, the politics therein that had influenced some of the... Uh, 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 imagery and such like, and the, the whole sort of you know, Nazi exploitation and the yeah. other odd things which seemed to be, you know, prevalent at the time. Um, but yeah, but yes, anyway, uh, we're we're discussing that we're going to be doing. Well, he's going to do a graphic novel, which will be uh, um, or graphic graphic novel format of the comic. So it'll be a single volume with a, a, um, a hardback cover, which I'll do a new illustration for. And yes, there it is. Uh, there, there will be there is in discussion another series of, of comics on, on the sort of same theme. Um, so yes, that that will happen. There will be some more work going on there. 
That's brilliant. Um, I hope that answers your question, Jamie. <laughs> and um, that, that's a good, I mean, you're obviously mentioning that you, you have done quite a lot of work on um, kind of reimagining uh, artwork for kind of Italian horror films, the late 70s, mm. early 80s. Um, is that a particular time period uh, that you're quite interested in? I mean, that those horror films tend to be, I mean, I always thought that the Italian horror work Basically, was the they took the kind of the hammer aesthetic of colours of blood and things like that, and just ran with it to an extreme, <clears throat> which is, I mean, which totally suits me because I love that sort of things. Uh, do you find as an artist that is that what attracts you to that that particular time period? Is the colours the vibrancy of the blood and things like that, or is it just something that you generally you think that they had a specific voice, a specific message in their horror films, and that's what you know kind of gravitates you towards them? Well, to be quite honest, I didn't really see much of Italian um, sort of genre stuff until quite late. I mean, I, I'd say, you know, very late 80s, early 90s, really. I mean, I, I don't think I watched uh, an Argento film until about 1987 uh, or, or, or later even. Though. So I came to it very, very late. But there was also the question of availability Anyway, we know, of course, we know that most of those films were on the video analysis list and were therefore not available in any other form than a really grainy, you know, 25th generation rubby <laughs> copy, which, you know, where the, the reds all bled across the screen, so you could never tell what was going on anyway, though, yeah. those scenes. But, um, but yeah, it, you know, looking, looking at the films now, certainly, I, I, mean, I think The Beyond is one of my favourite of, of that whole uh, era. Um, there's something about it which just you know, still gets me now. I, and every time I see the film, I see something more in there. But, you know, I, I think I could always tell that there was something more going on, uh, something quite layered in those films. And um, and certainly, you know, if you look at the politics of Italy in that era, you kind of do realise that there are many sort of undercurrents. I mean, that, that there's the sort of the ghost of uh, fascism is still there and that there was a, a certainly... Um, a campaign of bombing from um, some uh, from a, a political uh, dissension uh, yeah. going on at the time, and um, you know it's it, it's quite fascinating to see. Uh, but of course, you know there there is also the the, the, the idea of emulating uh, successful franchises and, and styles from elsewhere. You mentioned Hammer, yeah, of course, and uh, um, and you know I think if you the work of you know. Uh, Mario Barber cannot be mm. underestimated though. I mean, oh, God, his yeah. visual style, which you, you then see, you know, with Argento as well, uh, and his sort of best films. Um, I mean, the, the cinematography is just fantastic. The, the color palettes and the just the actual filming is just absolutely, you know, sumptuous. And, um, you know, even look at the Gates of Hell trilogy. Mm. I mean, the Beyond in particular, I think, is a great example of, uh, you know, there, there, there are so, some moments in that film you think, God, this is just, you know, really high end cinema. Which you know you rarely ever see, and yeah. it's, it's that obviously they they had access to you know some good equipment. Uh, certainly, creatively, you know they they they're some of the best people I'd say working at the time in terms of uh, color and lighting. Yeah. And, um, you know even even where the the effects you know we look back and you think well they're obviously extremely dodgy, but I mean you know the thing is they're always very ambitious. I mean the the, the concepts are just fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think, um, especially with, with Filchi, Filchi has like a, a, maybe a three or four year period in the early 80s where he releases, I think, about five or six films which are just so incredibly strong and then just kind of doesn't, 
doesn't leave as such or or on but it, it, it's like he just it had something specific to say in that time period he got some great scripts and he just puts together wonderful ones and I, I'm with you I watched the beyond uh, the, the blu-ray the arrow blu-ray last weekend and I hadn't I'd only just purchased it uh, I'd been meaning to watch it for for ages and I sat down and watched it and I just thought this film is is wonderful it's so <laughs> bizarre and it's it, there's a kind of weird kind of woozy feeling watching certain sequences almost like when you're you've you've fallen asleep on your arm and you get that kind of tingling pins and needles feeling about certain sequences in that film where you just genuinely even though i'd seen it before and i knew where the film was going you don't have a clue what's happening but you're just engaged you can't take your eyes off the screen absolutely um, again um at the um academic event a couple of weeks ago um, in Luton and uh, it actually it's true that very ending moment where they, they, they're in the hospital yet they go down the staircase and then they're suddenly underneath the hotel again and uh, yeah. you know it's like this huge confusion this can't be what's going on and uh, you know we all think well having seen you know so this convention carried through to films even now that well obviously they're they're dead but um mm-hmm. it, it's uh, it, there's a moment on the staircase and he just turns to and says who are you uh yeah. Uh, you know, why are you here? And it's suddenly, you know, all the people she's we've been, been referring to, we know don't exist anyway, or, or they exist in her mind, or they're mm-hmm. dead, or, or it's the, the, the history repeating itself. So it, there's also, there is an explanation in there somewhere, and I've had to find it. But uh, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, the clues one can only imagine must be in, in the opening of the film um, where, where they um, um, murdered the artist. And um, um, it's it's there's obviously some sort of revenge thing going on there, but uh, yeah. uh, it's it's as to who she is, I, I'm still not 100 percent sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's it could be that it was explained in the initial uh, screenplay, and for whatever reason, that that that, that those few words that might have actually tied it all together <laughs> never popped up, or you know, never know. You know, you just you just don't know with these things. So, but yeah, it is interesting. Uh, uh, Katrina McCall was actually there at the event and um, amazing talking about her work on the films and uh, being very entertaining about the fact you know she was a jobbing actress her 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 her, her real remit for herself was to you know be a great stage actress and uh, you know star in fantastic you know literate films and uh, um, certainly for her this was like you know sort of very lowbrow at the time of course in the years that have passed since these that, that trilogy has been held you know some great piece of cinema yeah. and um she appreciates now how how that can be so at the time it just you know to her it just couldn't be because yeah. it's a genre i guess because you know horror is still a bit of a dirty word i yeah. guess for uh, a lot of these um well-trained people yes and um but she was asked uh you know actually what happens at the end can you t- if anybody can tell us you can and uh she yeah. said well actually i have no bloody idea myself but <laughs> i think she said, it's open to the viewer and uh yeah. you know that sort of she said that's you know all she can say because i think even you know for her herself she just go on with her job doing the part and um mm-hmm. you know and that's you know the best she could tell us well <laughs> yeah i mean i i i think uh yeah, I, I don't even think, see, see even, even if she said this is what happened at the end, I still don't think I'd believe her. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> I've just got that feeling that, you know, I, think, <laughs> I just think there's, there's, there's no explanation. But uh, so, I mean, 
Well, we've obviously we kind of talked about some of your your work um, moving through. You touched on the fact that you worked with uh, the Tartan Film Company, Tartan Asia, That's especially uh, for a while. They were putting out uh, films, which obviously was a lot of kind of J horror, which started to influence everything. Everything became J horror daft, and the remakes started flowing. Um, but I mean, it, do when you are especially with films like that where it's a completely and almost to an extent with the Italian work as well where it's a completely different country's take on horror and we've spoke about this briefly briefly off air how um different countries the, the audiences react to horror differently because they grow up in a different environment the filmmakers grow up in a different environment that influences how they make the films um when the the kind of japanese horror stuff started coming to your your door things like audition especially um and you were watching i mean do you get a chance to watch the films before you do the cover for them well interestingly i'd seen audition already um it screened at fight fest and uh, uh so i knew the film and um uh my involvement didn't come till about a year after that Fright Fest screening, I believe. Um, and really, with a lot of the Tartan stuff, I was really adapting existing artwork or just playing with a photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no illustration work I ever really did for Tartan at all. But um, certainly, you know, I had to maybe regenerate concept artwork using my own you know, means as such. Uh, yeah, Dark yeah. Water is another example where... Um, we did have a layered artwork, but just wasn't kind of doing it. And uh, so I basically rephotographed somebody in a sort of yellow Mac, you know, colleague at work, and recreated the uh, the bag that the little girl's wearing. And you know, we had to redraw the little logo of the whatever little animal it was that goes on the bag. And just, you know, just trying to imbue it with something um, which was slightly more than photography. So it was sort of a, a very much an illustrative sense, you know, trying to create something which is artwork as opposed to photocomp. And, um, you know, that, that's when I really enjoyed working with Tartan, that, um, you know, on limited materials, limited budget, just trying to put together something from, you know, virtually nothing. Yeah. It, it's very homemade, most of that stuff, I have to say. But, you know, that's what I love doing. You know, you've you know, got this plastic skull, which I've still used to this day on virtually every job, it seems. So photographing it, different lighting, different ways. And um, I always trying to hide the sort of plastic join on, on the top of the skull or something. <laughs> Uh, but that, that's appeared on many, many jobs, though, I can, I can assure you, and even in uh, photographic form. In fact, there was a film, Alex Cox, uh, Revengers uh, Tragedy. No, not Revengers Tragedy. It was, um, oh, goodness, what was it called now? Um, it was a sort of Jacobean sort of uh, uh, piece. Uh, had Eddie Zard in it, though, and uh, Christopher Eccleston. Um, oh, Damn, what was it called? Anyway. Not ravenous, no. And, no, no, no. no. no but anyway, ravenous. there is a skull in there. And then that, that's the skull that sits on my desk anyway, though. Um, so, yeah, that will appear again and again still. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. So, I, I, I yeah, gave me a chance to experiment with, um, you know, Photoshop stuff, but trying to, you know, keep that um, artistic sensibility mm. in there, trying not to keep things looking technical, which is what often happens with uh, Photoshop. But you know, the, the the one piece of illustration work I did for Tartan was the um, illustration for El Topo, which um, was going to be oh, yeah. uh, a cover for their release, and then I was going to do another illustration for Holy Mountain, and then another one. Uh, but for some reason, they had a, had a change of heart, and they decided just to. I think it got printed up as a poster, which mm-hmm. appeared um, 
in, in a couple of places. But uh, other than that, it was never really used at all, though, which is a real shame. Because um, I know that Alejandro Rodorowski really loves the picture, and he just said, oh, this is you know, probably the best representation of my film I've seen so far. So, you know, he can't get better than that, can you, really? But, yeah, that's it, yeah. That makes it even more annoying that we never actually appeared on the, on the sleeve. But... Um, but yeah, so that that was uh, the only illustration I did for Tartan, and they didn't use it. <laughs> um, and like in terms of uh, catching, well, getting a chance to look at you know foreign horror films, especially from from that time period, because um, whenever we have, whenever there's a dip in the American market, so to speak, or a dip in the British market, another country almost takes the mantle up. Or it, they probably have already been doing it for years, but it just seems our conscious is very much directed towards them. Um, so we obviously had uh, the, the J-horror stuff in uh, the, the early 2000s, and um, then the kind of new wave of French extremism, which come up in the, the kind of mid-2000s. And it's some fantastic films... Um, come out in both those time periods I, I mean are you actively seeking out new horror films um, in between projects and things like that as well I mean as you're obviously a fan so do, do you get do you get a lot of time to just well you go to Fright Fest so you'll obviously be experiencing lots of films from all over the world but um, how do you let me word this right in terms of watching horror films are you specifically I really like this particular genre, so I'll stick with that. Are you very broad-minded and open-minded when it comes to horror? Well, very open. I mean, uh, uh, um, you know, there's you, know, you mentioned um, the French sort of wave of uh, horror, and then you know, obviously the Spanish um, stuff has been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. We know, that, you know, you, there's, there's another subgenre over in Mexico, and then, you know, there's some South American horror, and it, you know, it's from everywhere, and it's great. And uh, well, even Sweden, of course, gave us, you know, let the right one in. I mean, that oh, one. Right, film and you know what a credible look and a difference that made it's a very sort of fresh uh, perspective on horror um so yeah from myself i, I think the, the wider the spectrum the, the better for, for death yeah yeah absolutely i mean I've got, if you if, if you're asking if i do i seek out films where do i find them etc etc then i i don't really sort of seem to uh, have the time or actually it, it's literally I don't have the time to watch films. Yeah. <laughs> if I do, then I find myself going back to old films. It's 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 um might be a bit sad, but you know I still like to bomb a, a Hammer film of a, of a night, and uh, yeah. you know you can't go wrong. Can you, with that? De- definitely, definitely not. I mean that's I, that that's where my my question was basically heading was that you have so many projects on the go that you know it, it must be very difficult to to find the time. I mean, is it a case that if if word of mouth spreads to you that you need to watch this particular film that's come out, you'll make the time to see that, or is it a oh, case yeah, of that? So yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, no, I'm always you know on the lookout for stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, Facebook's a great medium for you know fandom, and uh, you know, of course, you know, every day you can see you know cascading rolls of recommendations of stuff, and uh, you know, you have to sort of weed out this stuff, I guess. Um, but. Uh, you know, you mentioned Fright Fest, and certainly, yeah, that, that's the one time a year where actually I, I, I have five days off that I give myself and um, get to watch, you know, uh, the, the whole range of uh, horror from across the planet. Yeah, yeah, it is a, it's a fantastic festival, and I, I mean, there's a, well, I was recently speaking to um, Adele Hartley, who does Dead by Dawn in, in Edinburgh, um, and their festival's just passed, and they had some fantastic films on this year as well and I thought you know even even now as UK fans it's very it's very easy sometimes to be uh, 
to look at what other countries get, especially when it comes to, to, to gigs and films and, oh, they're getting it before us and all the rest. And if you take the time and you do a bit of research, I mean, a lot of these things are on your doorstep or are not that far away to, to, to get a chance to check out. Um, is there anything, I mean, what in terms of the horror work that you've done, throughout your career and this is going to be a hard one because this is basically this is basically like me asking you what's your favourite piece of horror artwork you've ever done and when you've had a career as, uh, as as strong as yours that can't be easy but I'm going to ask the question anyway um, I'm sure I'm not the first one to ask you no, is no. there a, <laughs> a bit <laughs> is there a particular project or a particular piece of artwork that you've done for a horror film that you think is your favourite and why no no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, no. I mean, uh, you know, every piece of work is different, and um, every job comes with its own remit. And uh, you know, uh, even when the art direction isn't there to to to, to constrain what you do, you, you still nevertheless have to fulfil a function, which is you know, you're marketing a, a project, and it has to have some sort of commercial eye to it. So there's always um, compromises to be made. But you know, if I look back, I, I still have, you know, I still really um, get a kick out of my artwork for uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Two. You know, the, the, with the yeah. school bus at the bottom and Freddy waving his hands in the air, a bit of a jazz hands thing going on. <laughs> but uh, um, but yeah, I, I, I feel happy with that piece because it was the first idea I had when I saw the film, and it just came to me, and I knew what I wanted to do, and I just went to Pal and said, "This is what I think it should be," and they said, "Fine, let's do it." And that was it. And then there was the, the ghastly little quad adaptation I had to do as an obligation, and I didn't work very well but um but certainly that that um that sort of portrait format image um i still i still have a lot of fondness for though um it's it's also because uh it's it's a horror film and it's 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 not a nighttime scenario i, I thought yeah. you know that would be the funny thing just to put them in bright sunlight where it's you know, probably the least scary kind of yeah, yeah. lovely blue sky and it's quite sunny and there's this you know sort of bizarre surrealist desert scene and in my mind, you know, I wanted it to look almost like a, a Dali um, painting, you know, with a oh, surrealism. Yeah. And then, you know, this, this little school bus tumbling into this inferno. And, um, you know, to me, it wasn't really, I didn't think I was representing the film necessarily. What I was doing was um, um, actually enjoying the job, <laughs> selfishly for myself. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, people seem to, you know, still actually enjoy that poster. And um, for that reason, you know, I, I know it's had longevity and I think you know that that has to be a testament of, of you know a piece of work that's actually functioned well and done its job um, um, you know I, I always think that the next job I do is probably going to be better than you know anything I've done before you always hope it will because you want to you know progress and learn and be better and better uh, it's not always the case because you know there are constraints and, and you know notwithstanding one of them being time of course so you know yeah. deadlines are very very tight you know money is tight at the moment so you know you can't work too long on something so you juggle with all these things and hope to do the best you can and you know, I, I am I, I do get conscious sometimes that actually I, I really do need to make things you know I, I do need to actually not be sloppy with stuff I and mean, it's quite easy to do that sometimes though when you have to just do something very fast and uh, certainly in the past I know I have done that occasionally and I've, you know, I've done some work and I'm just being completely embarrassed about it, and uh, and, every, and every now and again these things do resurface, and I think, oh, God, get away, please. <laughs> don't see that ever again. But um, but yeah, th 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 
you know, I think that there, there, there is um, some good work to come yet. And I think, you know, all the best is yet to come as far as I'm concerned. I'll, I'll carry on working until I drop dead, basically. And uh, I think that uh, with as each year goes past, I can tell the difference differences in my work. I can see that, yes, there have been changes and, you know, the way I, my technique uh, has developed um, in order to be able to work fast and how, uh, um, you know, you learn that actually you can work fast and not compromise on the quality and it's also being about very confident in, in the way you work as well that you know if you make that first mark has to be right and if it's mm -hmm. wrong that she has an effect on everything else so you, you have to have the confidence uh, uh, and kind of um i guess it's 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 experience as well i guess really that's it it's confidence and experience and um yeah. that's what keeps me being able to work fast and you know maintain some sort of level of quality i mean you know occasionally Things go go a bit wrong, and um, you know I can't name projects, but um, you know sometimes you do a job, and um, you know it gets quite heavily art directed, and uh, um, and it becomes something it's not meant to be, and um, you just then you're, you're running with you know the client's needs, and um, you, you know you yeah. have to fill that. Of course, that they're paying you the money, mm -hmm. so uh, so that does happen. It's it's I have to say it's quite rare now that that happens, but um, you know occasionally I do a piece of work, and I just know it's not what it's meant to be, and um, mm -hmm. I'd rather it just disappeared, but uh, you know. Stuff goes out there, and that's it. <laughs> it's like yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> You're quite active on on social media as well. Um, if people wanted to check out, uh, you know, where you are on on Twitter, Facebook, uh, your website, um, on the internet, and things like that, how can they find you? Uh, oh, I'm on Facebook under my own name. There's no no sort of funny little moniker there. Um, <laughs> Twitter, I've started using Twitter. I don't really use it uh, much, really. It's it's um, it's. I just can't be asked most of the time, but I use Facebook all the time, and Facebook's yeah. been absolutely brilliant, I have to say, in mm -hmm. terms of um, um, people seeing my work, you know, in, in different places, places where they wouldn't see it otherwise. So, uh, um, you know, I, I, it has certainly expanded my potential client base, and I, you know, I've been working with people in America, um, Germany, Australia. And um, you know, I hope that will you know continue to expand as well. Um, so it has opened up possibilities and opportunities, and that's why I stick with Facebook because it does, it's it's far more visual, I think, for people as yeah. well. It's, you plonk an image up there, and it's it's, it's there straight away. Yeah. And you know, I, and you know, there, there's quite a large network of people now. I mean, certainly within the horror. Uh, sort of genre there's a whole, mm -hmm. whole it's like a tentacled monster and it's just taking over the world it's great <laughs> it's basically Cthulhu that's what it is it's, uh, Facebook is Cthulhu for uh, horror fans <laughs> and you, uh, what's your website if you, you want so for people that are listening to the podcast so they can go and check out your website and your work it's GrahamHumphreys.com very easy there you go Graham simple Humphreys. as that exactly it, it, well, it's in need of a revamp, but um, it, it's a very simple site, and that's the way it should be because it just mm -hmm. gives you the work, and that's it. Though. But uh, that's it. info at you know you can, so you can contact me via the website as well. That's great. Well, Graham, I, I would like to say thank you very much for for giving up uh, some of your your, your precious time uh, to come on and actually chat with me and my listeners. Um, if you are up for it, I'll get you back on somewhere down somewhere down the line so we can talk about more more kind of projects that have come out recently um, and uh, I dare say my, my listeners will have more questions for you down the road. Well, um, so. And also I will say that because um, people do ask uh, and so I'm going to tell you anyway before you even ask, um, <laughs> yes there is a book uh, of work coming out that will be next year and um, there will be an exhibition uh, to launch the book and um, initially it's just going to be a limited edition 
500 copies, um, a sort of like an art book. Uh, but the idea is that that will then lead on to uh, an, another publication, which will then be you know more readily available and certainly a lot cheaper as well. So uh, so yeah. Yeah, you did. You, you just stole the watch right from him. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. That's not I a bad thing. Well, thank you very much for your time. And um, I'm going to be right back to close up the show right after this break. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. Warning, the Midnight Horror Show is not safe for work and is definitely not for the faint of heart. The following is a small sample of what you'll hear live every Wednesday night at 7 at allradiox.com. I heard from you shitheads for fucking years. Now, Webula, we do this thing that's called a live radio show on the internet. And so there's people that interact with us. Yeah, they're listening and responding to us right now in real time. Who, who, who's talking shit? <laughs> fuck, Somebody's talking shit? Someone named Fuckface. And so they, fuck you, Fuckface. <laughs> oh, you think we'll go off on tangents? <laughs> on the Midnight Horror Have show? you ever listened to this show before, Mark? <laughs> he was masturbating into the, the corpse of a fucking beheaded fish. Fucking uh, nasty motherfucker. <laughs> We're going to end the show on corpse fucking this time, apparently. Anytime you talk about necophilia, you're talking... It's going to take a certain kind of person to watch it. Yes, it's a charmed life. Fuck you. <laughs> you can hear the Midnight Horror Show live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Wednesday night at allradiox.com or download the show on iTunes, Podomatic, or at the allradiox.com page. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And welcome back, and you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs bonus episode number five, where I interviewed artist and graphic designer Graham Humphreys. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation. Um, I've been chatting to Graham just slightly afterwards, and uh, I think he might be coming back on somewhere down the line, maybe maybe in a couple of months' time, where we're going to delve more closely into the work that he did during the 80s on a lot of the kind of advertising campaigns for movies. And I think also uh, we, we might just have a, a, a discussion just generally on horror. We touched on a few few likes and dislikes during the, the actual show. Um, at one point when we were off air, uh, we started chatting about the upcoming film Green Inferno. And that was a really great conversation and I could have kicked myself that I didn't have that recording. So it'll be quite interesting to, him, to have him come back on because he's been following the genre now for for the best part of 30 odd years um, and has seen a multitude of films it would be quite good to see what his impressions are of where horror is going but at the same time you know what, what horror films are maybe in his top five etc um, like I said at the start of the podcast there'll be plenty of things coming up um, there's loads of uh, podcasts under the stairs specials coming up um, and you know the round table discussion is going to be one which uh it's going to be, I think it's going to be really good and hopefully we get a really good discussion with myself and the four podcasters on there. Um, that'll be getting announced next week who the, the, the special guests are and obviously keep your eye open for Baz V Horror uh, which will be coming very soon where Baz takes on August Underground. Um, I can also announce we'll have a special guest uh, to do that review with us as well. It's none other than Mr Gil Rokitansky from Gil and Roscoe's Bidacious Horror Podcast. Last time he was on our podcast, he uh, did the Halloween special, and it was a great conversation. I've been on their show a couple of times. Gil's a great guy, and um, I look forward to hearing his uh, his perspective on August Underground, and obviously what the Baz made of it as well. 
So I'm going to jump out just now. I hope you've enjoyed this bonus episode. As always, remember you can uh, come back to me on the Facebook page. If you're not a member of the Facebook page, go over to Facebook, type podcast under the stairs, into the search bar, coming across and uh, be part of the conversation over there. Some really good conversations recently um, with things like Rosemary's Baby, the television series, uh, a discussion on Filchie, um I think the new Constantine television show, Thing, the trailer dropped um, and I, I was going to discuss it on this show but thought who better than to discuss it with my man the Baz so that should be on the next episode as well you can also send us some feedback to the email address if you want or if there's any particular films or questions you would like us to raise on the podcast under the stairs you can do it through Facebook or at our email address podcast under the stairs dot gmail well, at gmail.com that's podcast under the stairs at gmail.com um, also, don't forget to rate us on iTunes when you get the chance. There's a couple of ratings over there, um, and it looks pretty good. Uh, there's no one left any negative comments anyway, but feel free to come across and leave some of that there. Also, check out the shows on the League of Extraordinary Podcasts, Devour the Podcast, Gil and Roscoe's, Bodacious Horror Podcast, Grey Shift Radio, The Midnight Horror Show. Um, check out the Horror Bull Podcast, Creepy Kitch, Cinema Beef, Sausage Fest Reviews. There are loads of shows over there for you guys to be checking out, so, so make sure you check them out. And obviously, the shows over at Horrorphilia, Mad Love to the Skeleton Crew, Banana Laser, um, Terra Dome is now defunct. Um, and I've still to check out the new podcast, the name escapes me, but it's check out Jason Lloyd's podcast, my bloody podcast, um, which has been really good. I mean, there are only four shows in, and it's really some high-quality conversation about lesser-known slasher films. Um, also, uh, as an aside, um, myself and the mighty Bo Ransdell from Devour the Podcast have our own podcast now. Um, there's already been two episodes up. You should check it out. We have our own iTunes feed, podcast is called Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Um, basically, the podcast premise is we each throw a film at each other that the other, the other one hasn't seen um, as a strong recommendation. And at the end of it, we decide which one of us came most correct. Um, so who selected the film, which was better out of the two. Um, so you should check that out. Come across, join our iTunes page. Remember, you can listen to us as well through the League of Extraordinary Podcast feed. Um, so I've, that lasted a bit longer than I expected. A lot of information right at the very end, guys. So all I've got to say is take care of yourselves to speak to you the next time. Thank you all for listening to the show. Um, I really can't stress enough how much everyone checking us out and the download numbers, how much that means to me. Um, you guys are great. But until the next time I speak to you, this has been Duncan McLeish from the podcast Under the Stairs. Take care of yourself. Bye. 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 Bye.